The following broadcast is brought to you by the Congregation of People's Baptist Church of Folkestone, Georgia. You can find this broadcast on our website, www.pbcfolkestone.com. Good morning. My name's Nathan Irie. I'm the pastor of People's Baptist Church in Folkestone, Georgia. And I want to take the next couple of broadcasts and speak to you about the subject of repentance. The subject of repentance. Now, the reason that I want to take these next couple of broadcasts and dedicate it to that subject is because here recently I've heard some statements that at the very least infer that the idea of salvation by grace through faith is somehow at odds with the idea of repentance, and that's simply not true, and I'd like to make a case for that statement, the fact that that is not true. Salvation by grace through faith is not at odds with repentance. The only way that you could make it at odds with repentance is by redefining the term repentance to mean something that it does not mean. Now, let me be very clear uh, about some things, especially in regards to salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not by baptism. Salvation is not by good works or sacraments or church attendance. Salvation is not by giving to charity, whether that be a church or some other good cause. Salvation is not in turning over a new leaf. It's not in doing better or feeling better. And salvation certainly is not in abstinence from certain things like liquor or drugs or fornication. All those things are good to abstain from liquor, drugs, and fornication, and cigarettes, and so forth and so on. All that stuff is great, but that's not where salvation is. And I'll go, so, I'll, I'll go even farther than that and say that none of those things are what keeps a man saved. Uh, the Bible is very clear in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And that is the issue of salvation. The issue of salvation is what does it take to be just in the sight of God? What does it take in order for a man to be justified in the sight of God? Well, a man can't pay for his own sins, and that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth and bled and died when he wasn't a sinner. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And therefore, the soul that sinneth, it shall die, the Bible says in the Old Testament. Well, if Christ, according to First Peter, wasn't a sinner, according to the book of Hebrews, he was holy, harmless, and undefiled. If he died in the sinner's place, the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 53, that he was numbered with the transgressors. If Jesus Christ was not a sinner, and yet he died, then that means he had to be dying for sins, but if he had no sins, he was dying for somebody's sins that weren't his own because he didn't have any. He was clean. He was pure. He was undefiled. So it, the only thing that you can reason is that he was dying for my sins. He was dying for your sins. And when he hung on the cross before he died, he said, it is finished. There is nothing else that you can add to salvation. There's nothing else that you can do. There's nothing else that your church can do. There's nothing else that your preacher or your priest or your pope can do to add to salvation. It's The Bible said, Jesus Christ himself said, it is finished. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that there is one mediator between God and man, the man 
Christ Jesus. So he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin, not deliverance from sin, not justification from sin. The only thing that you're going to get out of the law is a finger pointing in your face saying, You are guilty. But verse 21, now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there's no difference for all of sin comes short of the glory of God being justified freely. See, it's, it's not something that you earn. It's a free gift. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and so forth and so on. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And obviously from the passage it is implied that you received it by the hearing of faith, not by the works of the law. And so thus he reasons in the next verse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So a man doesn't stay saved by the works of the law no more than he gets saved by the works of the law. A man is justified by grace through faith, and then he is kept saved by the power of God. And so repentance is not at odds with these truths. Now, I understand why many people think that repentance is at odds with salvation by grace through faith, and that's because of the reason that I mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast in that someone has misdefined the term repentance to mean something more akin to works. And the modern-day definition that I have heard several times about repentance is that repentance is walking down a particular road in life and then making up your mind or deciding that you're going down the wrong way and then making a 180-degree turn and going the other way. Really what that does is it confuses the effects of repentance with what repentance actually is. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the effect that repentance has on a man when he undergoes that process. I'm going to turn over there very quickly, but we'll look at this more in detail, Lord willing, in the next broadcast. He talks about godly sorrow. Second Corinthians 7 works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And then in verse 11, he gives the effects. He gives the fruit of a godly sorrow that works repentance. Now, like I said, we're not going to go into that a whole lot today, but I do want to just point that out to you. The modern day confusion is that people are confusing the effects of repentance with what repentance actually is. So let me just point out a couple of general things about repentance. First of all, if repentance is not necessary, it's very funny to me how that the first recorded statements of both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ both is one word, repent. Now, if, if repentance was not something that was important, then why does it come out of John the Baptist's mouth, who was the herald of Jesus Christ coming to this earth to begin his earthly ministry, and why does it come out of the mouth 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if repentance is not necessary. For those of you that go to ecumenical churches and those of you preachers that are more concerned about piling people into your church building than you're interested in piling God into people's hearts, so therefore you never preach a message along the lines of repent, hey, you need to trust Christ as your Savior, why is it that you always head to Matthew chapter 5 and preach about things along the lines of blessed are the peacemakers, but you never point out the fact that the first thing that Jesus ever said was repent. You know, let me run a little rabbit trail here very quickly. It's very interesting to me that the people that were up on the mount when Jesus Christ preached the quote-unquote sermon on the mount, the people that he was preaching to were people that were already following him. But when he shows up in Matthew chapter 3 and he starts preaching, he's preaching and saying, you better repent. Just kind of interesting to me. You say, well, I I have a little bit of a problem taking uh, that to heart because Jesus Christ and John the Baptist both were in a different dispensation than we're at. Well, let me remind you that according to Romans chapter 11, Paul asserted himself as the apostle to the Gentiles. And that assertion, by the way, was sanctioned by Peter, James, and John, according to Galatians chapter 2. Let's run those references very quickly. Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, verse 13, Paul himself speaking about himself said, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostles to the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Now, if you know anything about apostles in the Bible, there were 12 apostles of the Lamb. There were 12 apostles, and those apostles were not sent to Gentiles per se. They were sent to the house of Israel. Well, Paul himself says in Romans chapter 11 that he was sent to the Gentiles. And in Galatians chapter 2, this was sanctioned by Peter, James, and John. The Bible says, and when James Cephas, that's Simon Peter, this is Galatians 2 verse 9, when James Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So Paul said, they gave unto us the right hands of fellowship that Barnabas and I should go unto the heathen, that's the Gentiles, and that they, James, Cephas, and John, should go unto the circumcision, that is the Jews. And then this again was sanctioned in Acts chapter 13, this Paul going to the, this Paul being the apostle to the Gentiles, that was again sanctioned by the entire church at Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, they laid their hands on Paul and they sent him forth to do the work that the Holy Ghost had laid out for him. Now, what you're getting ready to do, what we're getting ready to do is to run up on a problem for some folks. You say, well, what's the problem? The problem is that if we find Paul the Apostle, who is the Apostle to the Gentiles, if we find Paul the Apostle preaching repentance, then what that means is that there is no sane way that you can take repentance out of the church age. The church age was something that was revealed to Paul according to Ephesians chapter 3. That's something that was given to him. So if our apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, begins to preach 
repentance, and he further preaches it to the Gentiles, then my, my soul, you're in for a mess if you think that repentance is not part of salvation. So with that, let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, why, as a nation, that's not Jews. Ye men of Athens, that's Greeks. That is the nation of Greece. Those are Gentiles, buddy. He said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. And so he goes through and he talks about idolatry, and he says in verse 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, idols, silver, idols, stone, idols graven by art and man's device and the times of this ignorance god winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent well paul's preaching repentance to gentiles he's preaching repentance in the church age repentance is not necessary for salvation if you repent you're going to die because you're going to die and go to hell because that's work salvation then why is paul preaching it not satisfied with that turn over to acts chapter 20 acts chapter 20 verse 17 and from miletus he sent to ephesus and called the elders of the church now the church at ephesus paul later writes an epistle to the church at ephesus and that epistle is called ephesians now, you know what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says? For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, look at what he says here in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. He's talking to the same people he wrote that epistle to. Verse 18, when they were come to him, the elders of the church at Ephesus, when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul himself, in reviewing the message that he preached to the elders at Ephesus, to the people at Ephesus, the establishment of that church was built on the message, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that explains why most, a lot of pastors can't build churches these days. Maybe that explains why churches are turning into life centers and family centers. They're not churches. Maybe it's because there's no repentance. Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is standing before King Agrippa, and he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they 
should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Oh, my soul. Now, that certainly looks like Paul was preaching work salvation there, huh? But he wasn't. You know what Paul believed? Paul believed that when a man was put in Christ, he said, 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now listen, old things being passed away, all things becoming new, that is not what saves a man. You can try to take old things and put them away and make all things new and that's not salvation, but salvation brings about that effect. I said it in the last broadcast, and I'll take the opportunity to say it again. I have absolutely zero, zero confidence in this salvation that enables a man to hop and skip down to an altar, chewing bubblegum and popping bubbles, and then turn around and make a profession of faith in Christ and then say... Well, because I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. Well, maybe you could do whatever you want and still go to heaven, but you're not going to have any joy in your heart, and God is going to thrash your hide. Second Timothy chapter 2 says in verse 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. First of all, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and... Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Well, departing from iniquity is not what saves a man. But when a man gets saved, there's going to be a change that takes place in his heart. And I don't care if that hair lips you or hair lips your grandma. You take this attitude that, well, I got saved and therefore I can go do whatever the blazes I want to do. You are flat dead wrong. You are incorrect about that. What saves a man is what Jesus Christ did for him at Calvary. But you are not your own now. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's God's body. That's God's property. You want to stand up on your own hind legs and talk about your personal rights. Listen, when you got saved, your rights were handed over to the lovely Lord Jesus Christ you need to learn how to hush your mouth and subject yourself to the one that loved you enough to give his life for you. That's the only thing that's right to do. Now, let's get back to the subject at hand. When a man trusts Christ, he repents. He repents. Now, it, we've gone through some scriptures. Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 26. If you cannot see that repentance is part of salvation, then either you're not reading your Bible cover to cover or you're not paying attention when you read. I've heard some preachers here within the last week or so say that if a preacher preaches that repentance is necessary to salvation, he's preaching work salvation and he's going to go to hell. Men like Lester Roloff, I've heard these fellows call Lester Roloff's by name. I've heard them call men like Oliver B. Green by name and say those men are burning in hell because they re preached repentance. All I have to say to that is hogwash. Listen, you go back and play in the sandbox with your little Tonka trucks 
Those of us that are adults that know how to read English out of the King James Version, we'll do some serious Bible study while you're still playing with your little toys. Don't waste our time, please. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Let's take a look at what repentance really is. Exodus chapter 32, verse 12. God has been angered by the idolatry of the children of Israel. And I'm going to back up to verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with thy great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief? Did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Well, see, God's getting ready to wipe the children of Israel out. God hasn't done anything yet, you understand. I hope you understand that God has not yet done anything. He's told Moses, I'm getting ready to wipe these people out. He's done nothing. He has done nothing. I'm trying to make that real big in your mind, real apparent to you that the Lord hasn't done anything. He's threatened to do something. He's expressed intent to wipe the children of Israel out. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and says unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. Watch. Verse 14, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. So if repentance is works, if repentance is doing something, then I've got one question for you. What did God do in the passage? He didn't do anything. He said he was going to do something. He had intent. He had an attitude and it was changed. He repented. He changed his mind. You say, oh, you're pulling that out of context. Okay. Job 42. Job chapter 42. I hope you understand the story of Job. I don't have time to go through the entire book of Job and read the entire book, but Hopefully you understand that from Job 21, God had a very high opinion of Job. The Bible says that Job, in Job chapter 1, verse 1, he was a perfect and he was a man that was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. When Job's friends came and sat down with him and told him, God wouldn't bring suffering on you unless you were doing something wrong, Job maintained his own integrity. He said, I haven't done anything wrong. And that's what the book of Job largely is. It's Job defending himself from the accusation of his friends. Well, somewhere towards the end of the book, God begins to deal with Job directly and tells him, essentially, who do you think you are? Where were you when I made the universe? Where were you when I slung the stars out into existence? Well, in Job 42, Job gives his response. Verse 1, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. 
Wherefore, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Can I ask you a question? What was Job doing that he was going down the wrong road and turned around 180 degrees and decided to do something else? He wasn't doing anything except sitting in the ash heap defending himself. It was a change of attitude. It was a change of mind. He got from the place. He got from the place to where he justified himself, and he began to justify God. You see that? That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. You say, well, I just believe that a man has to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ like it says in the New Testament. Well, it says repent in the New Testament. But let me go with you on this. You say, I just believe that a man has to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let me tell you something. Repentance is part of that believing process. You say, where do you get that? Let's look in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and let's look in verse 41. The Bible says, the men of Nineveh, shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. What did they do? They repented at the preaching of Jonas. Jonah chapter 3. Look in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Look in verse 4. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He turns around, walks out of the city, and he goes and sits up on a hill, according to Jonah chapter 4, verse 5, to see what might become of the city. You know what happens down in Nineveh? The people of Nineveh believed God. Well, Matthew chapter 12 says that they repented. Jonah chapter 3 says that they believed. They're connected. They're connected. Matthew chapter 21, let me show you this, and we'll, we'll close with this truth right here. Matthew chapter 21, verse 32. The Pharisees have come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're questioning him about where he gets his authority to do the things that he's doing. And Jesus, as he tells them, he says, I'll tell you where I get my authority from if you'll answer me a question. And they say, okay, shoot. And he says, the baptism of John. Let's talk about the baptism of John. Was it of men or was it from heaven? And the Pharisees huddle together and they get down and they start consulting with one another. And they say, boy, we're between a rock and a hard place, fellas. If we say it's from heaven, he's going to look at us and say, then how come you didn't get baptized? But if we say of men, then we're afraid of the people because they all hold John the Baptist as a true prophet. And so they turn around and they look at Jesus and they say, we cannot tell. And Jesus looks at them and says, then it's none of your business where I get my authority to do these things. It's very interesting how the Lord Jesus Christ deals with religious people who don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They just want to have something to do with political power or religious power. But he goes on down after that statement and he tells a, a parable about a man who has two sons and he says, son, go work in my field today, go work in my vineyard. And he said, I will not. But afterward he repented, he repented 
and he went. You notice how he says he repented and went. He doesn't make those two things the same. One's the product of the other. Well, he came to the second and said, likewise, he answered and said, I go, sir, but went not. He didn't go. And Jesus uses that parable as a platform to ask them this question. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Verse 32. This is Matthew 21, verse 32. Watch what he says. He says, I was asking you about the ministry of John the Baptist. He said, John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him, and ye when you had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. You know what Jesus told those Pharisees their problem was? He said, you can't believe John the Baptist. You can't believe what John was preaching because you don't have a heart of repentance. You see how those two things are connected? You say, well, I'm saved and I've trusted Christ as my personal savior. Listen to me. Listen to me, Christian. I don't care who you are. God knows whether you're saved or not. I don't know, but I know that the Lord knows. And listen, I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, if you've been saved, you've repented. I'm telling you, you've repented. You don't look at sin the same way that you used to look at. You don't look at yourself the same way that you used to look at yourself. What's really interesting to me as a pastor is that I can get up in a pulpit and I can preach to lost people, you're, you're lost, you're on your way to hell, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Some people will believe that and they'll trust Christ as their Savior. And other people will not believe it and they usually get offended at that kind of preaching. And then I, preach the same, I can preach the same message to save people. And if they're saved... They can sit there and shake their head yes and agree with me that, hey, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was a sinner. I was on my way to hell. You say, why? Because there's a repentance. There's a process of repentance that took place that now they have an understanding. They know, yes, sir, I sure was a sinner. I sure was on my way to hell. But, hey, I got it taken care of. It doesn't bother me now. Thank God for deliverance. Thank God for the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. You say, what is that? That's a product of repentance. That's a product of repentance. Repentance is not at odds with believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is part of the process of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you for listening today. Have a great day. This broadcast was brought to you by People's Baptist Church of Folkestone, Georgia. This broadcast and information for the church may be found on our website, www.pbcfolkestone.com.